everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and here we are with another anniversary episode. So as you're listening to this uh, on Thursday, which would be December 22nd, we have the 90th anniversary of The Mummy. Uh, came out in 1932, uh, and I cannot wait to talk about this movie. I just recently rewatched it, uh, and much like Dracula and Frankenstein, uh, this is one of the greats. Uh, some interesting pieces about it, though, uh, that I'm excited to talk about. But before we do, uh, there have been a lot of movies <laughs> that I have seen. I have been doing my end-of-the-year blitz. I am trying to watch as many as I can. Uh, Because, as we all know, there are a million, billion movies that have come out recently. And I have also recently subscribed to a couple extra streaming services to catch myself up on all this. So on top of the usual suspects of Netflix, Disney, Amazon, uh, HBO, and Hulu, uh, I now also have Peacock and uh, Paramount Plus to try and get some of those outliers. So I'm going to just do a lightning round of all of these movies that I watched recently. Uh, That way, maybe if you're on the fence about them, you can make an informed decision before we dive into our feature on The Mummy. So first one is Wrath of Man. This was a movie, I think it came out last year. It's a Guy Ritchie movie with Jason Statham. Uh, This movie was really good. Um, I really liked it. It's about a guy who uh, does the bank deliveries in the, the Brinks trucks where they're delivering money to the banks from, uh, I guess, the even bigger banks. But uh, there's a twist to it that I won't reveal, only to say if you're a fan of Guy Ritchie or Jason Statham, or you're just a fan of when Jason Statham is being like John Wick, that's basically this movie. So check it out. I You wouldn't regret it. Uh, another interesting one was Do Revenge on Netflix. This is with uh, Camila Mendez and Maya Hawke. Uh, both of them were phenomenal in this movie. It was a very, it's sort of a paint by numbers film. Uh, there's some twists that I kind of saw coming, but overall it was very entertaining, a very uh, you know current film, and I always enjoy a good enjoy a good high school drama. So that was really fun. Uh, here's a big one. This is gonna set you back uh, three hours, but if you already went and saw Avatar or were planning to see Babylon, three hours is not going to be a problem for you. Uh, that is Triple R, RRR. This is a film by S.S. Rajamuli. Uh, it is uh, It is not a Bollywood film. It is a, I believe it's a, it's, it's a Tom, Tom? Hollywood, uh, Tollywood, something like that. I uh, apologize, but this is from a different region uh, in the area of South Asia. And holy cow, was this movie great. Um, for those of you who are following the uh, awards season, it was already nominated for two Golden Globes for Best Song and also Best Foreign Film, which I think it totally deserves because, again, this is if you are a fan of action movies. Uh, if you're also a fan of history as well, uh, you've got to check this film out. Like this, this has some of the best action that I've seen all year long. Maybe in the last few years, the epicness. This is a movie that actually warrants the term epic uh, in every single way. It feels like every scene is just incredibly important. Uh, and the best part about it too is it's a historical fiction. So there's a lot of uh, inglorious bastards at play in terms of kind of rewriting history a little bit uh, in a really entertaining way. Um, and, and I didn't even know this, but the two main characters are actually two real revolutionaries during that time. It takes place in, um, so basically it's a fictitious story about two of the revolutionaries and their journey away from home 
uh, before they started fighting for their country in the 1920s. So it's around kind of the British rule in India. And uh, again, just mind-blowing. I Three hours did not feel like three hours. Uh, I may have mentioned it, but I saw the menu in theaters. Uh, that was a great movie. I had a lot of fun with that one. It was very intense. It was not exactly what I was expecting, but at the same time, it was just like the food, delicious. Uh, it was deliciously evil too. There's a there's a sense of just you know the, the snobbery that surrounds this high class society that was really being made fun of in this movie, and I loved that. Nicholas Holt was great. I mean, most of them were just great at being these absolute terrible people, but then we all get to see it through the lens of uh, one of my faves, Anya Taylor Joy. Also, Ray Fiennes is in this as the main chef, and he just absolutely kills it in that too. So <laughs> that was uh, a really fun one. Uh, if you can see it in theaters, it may be available to rent too, um, but I'd recommend that. Um, here's one that didn't warrant the amount of time, Blonde, uh, on Netflix. This was with Anna Diarmas, uh, directed by Andrew Dominic, uh, and it's two hours and 47 minutes long, and it definitely felt like that. And it's, it's a fictional chronicle of Marilyn Monroe. So I saw, I think that Anna got nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance, but nothing else for this movie, and honestly, that seems uh, appropriate in my eyes. She was just amazing in this. She did such a good job at capturing what I would assume to have been kind of Marilyn during that time. Again, this is fictional, so I don't know what's true and what isn't, but on its, on its own merits for the film, I did enjoy it. I thought it was good. A lot of, uh, if you're a fan of kind of like uh, Jackie or uh, what was the other one? Diana. Is that, that's not, wasn't called Diana, but um, the one with uh, gosh, what was her name? I always, oh, Kristen Stewart, of course, but, um, I would highly recommend checking it out. So, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. All right. And next up was, uh, another weirdly, this movie came out in 2022, last seen alive, uh, with Gerard Butler and Jamie Alexander. This was, uh, again, I was trying to watch it cause I'm like, okay, I want to just watch as many of these current 2022 films as possible. Cause I haven't gotten to go to the movies very often. And this was a classic Gerard Butler movie, but honestly, we did not get to see as much of him as I wanted, as much of him being the Gerard Butler that I know. Uh, but it was, it, again, I wouldn't recommend it. I think this is on um, Netflix. You're fine skipping it. There's not much here, but basically his wife vanishes at a gas station and everyone thinks that she, he's the one that did it, but obviously he didn't. So it's one of those, uh, you know, kind of annoying things of like, oh, well, nobody, nobody believes him. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Uh, what else was on here? So DMZ, this was interesting. This is a mini series on HBO. It's a DC property, has nothing to do with DC. And it actually took me a really long time to watch this, surprisingly. It was only four episodes, but like I said, it just didn't capture my attention and I, I wanted to see it through. And it was good, like it wasn't bad, but I just, I, I would never watch it again. And the only reason that I was checking it out was because I love Rosario Dawson, who's the main character. And she does a great job, um, but yeah, it's, I'm reading here, it looks like the total run time is three hours and 55 minutes, so yeah, basically four episodes at an hour. Uh, but yeah, again, if you were wondering, ooh, DMZ, I see that on there, I saw Rosario, can't wait to see how this connects to the DC Universe. I mean, if you've been following that news, you know that it definitely doesn't, but if you were wondering, it does not. Uh, I also watched uh, a couple of little funny ones that came out on Disney+, Plus. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roger Rules. Uh, I love the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books, 
So uh, to see them doing these animated ones, it was, you know, just your classic cutesy fun. And then the other one was uh, Night at the Museum, uh, Common Raw Rises again. Same thing. Very forgettable, but cute. I'm sure kids would like it. Uh, I saw Smile with uh, the uh, Sosie Bacon, I think, is the one who's the, the main character in this. But this was another big horror movie that came out this year. It was creepy. Uh, very creepy and the uh the kind of twist or the pull kind of the thing they don't reveal in the trailers about you know what the movie's really about was actually really interesting it kind of gave me uh it follows vibes if you like that kind of movie certainly the sca- the smiling is incredibly creepy but the uh there's other things in here that are very scary too uh, and it, speaking of more horror i watched uma which has also came out this year that's with sandra o oh. And Dermot Maroney. Uh, it's about a lady and her daughter who live a quiet life on an American farm. But when the remains of her estranged mother arrive from Korea, Amanda becomes haunted by the fear of turning into her own mother. This felt like a really good combination of, say, turning red, everything everywhere all at once ish, just that idea of generational trauma. Uh, but at the same time, it also felt a lot like Run, uh, if you remember that movie from Hulu. Uh, essentially, the idea of a parent keeping their child away from the world because they're trying to protect them, but at the same time, it's creating this sort of... And in this movie, there is no Munchausen by proxy. Right? The daughter is not sick, uh, but Sandra O oh is an incredibly overbearing mother, even though she is struggling with that being what her mother did to her, which was ten times worse than what she does to her daughter, but at the same time, she's still, you know, preventing her daughter from becoming the best version of herself, so to speak. So it was good. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, it's not that I wouldn't recommend it. If you love Sandra Oh, you got to check it out. But there wasn't really anything in it that was like, oh my gosh, this is a revelation. Um, but it was fine. It was a good, good horror movie. If you're looking for one, it's short uh, and it's on Netflix. So um, I, I would say check it out if only for uh, I, I'm a big fan of when the horror genre kind of spreads its wings. And so exploring that, um, you know, Korean culture at the same time was really cool. Uh, here's one, though, that I might not recommend. Crimes of the Future. Uh, this was uh, directed by David Cronenberg. Uh, for those of you that know, uh, I like him a lot. Uh, but he also is infamous for uh, body horror and just that sort of horror element, which was on full display here for a movie that isn't really about horror. It's this weird futuristic film uh, of people who kind of uh, do body modifications in the future, I guess. And it centers around this guy who grows new body organs and removes them in front of audiences. That's their entertainment. And so if that sort of thing sounds gross, it is. Trust me, it really is. Uh, the movie was good, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Uh, wasn't that big a fan of it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I recognize some of the pieces of it that I really liked, too. Uh, and that one's available on Hulu. And now we're going to hit some of the more recent ones, too. Uh, and we'll see if I can get these done even faster. I know we're at around 10 minutes. But uh, Amsterdam on HBO. Really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Nothing out of the ordinary. It was exactly what I expected it to be. Is it going to be in any of my lists this year? No, probably not. Um, but it was good. So if you're looking for something with an all-star cast and you're just wanting something on to enjoy, you can you could do a lot worse than Amsterdam. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. This one's on Netflix. Uh, it's a remake of the original, and it's worth every minute. Uh, this movie was incredibly depressing. 
incredibly bleak. Uh, it had moments of beauty that peaked out but were very quickly squashed by the weight of the military-industrial complex during that time period, uh, with obviously you know hints to the way things are today, too. Um, if you like war movies, if you like being sad, if you like getting frustrated by the... Um, not necessarily the the stu- not stupidity, but just the the frustration around young people being in that time forced to go fight in a war that they had no business being in and dying because of it. Um, you know, this might be your kind of movie, uh, but it, it's been it's been nominated for a Golden Globe for uh, best international as well. It's a German film. Uh, it is available immediately on dub, as is RRR on Netflix. Both of which the dubs were fine. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wish I'd watched them in regular, but anyway, uh, Enola Holmes too. I watched that one. I liked it just about as much as the first one. And that's, that's about all I can say. It was, it was a fun movie. It was a decent mystery. Uh, we got to see the interesting, you know, future for the Holmes franchise, perhaps. I'm not sure, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. It's, you know, I always like those. Uh, don't worry, darling. This was another one that I was very excited to see on HBO max, uh, definitely creepy it's got a lot of sci-fi vibes i do not want to spoil anything about this movie safe to say if you were on the fence about it because of all the controversy watch this movie check it out because it's actually really good and i think it rises above you know i didn't even think about the controversies at all during the filming or during watching the film uh, and then the last one was just a couple nights ago my brother and i watched the banshees of inishirin which uh, is also on hbo hbo is firing on all cylinders right now um, really good movie. Uh, I thought it was really fun. Uh, a lot of good comedy, a lot of dark comedy, but it's also a little, not necessarily meandering, but um, I would say for Martin McDonough, the director who has done three billboards, he did in Bruges. Uh, he's obviously, you know, an Irish master at this point and getting both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson to come back in uh, much the same as in Bruges, it felt like this is the movie that he's been waiting to make because, again, a lot of his films are either you know in an American setting or in a different area in the world except for Ireland. And so it was very nice. Obviously, this Inishirin is a fictional place, uh, but it's based on kind of an island in Ireland. So uh, to see everyone going full Irish in this was fantastic. Um, but it was also, again, like I said, you know, I, what it, is it going to end up in my year-end list? Probably not. But I really enjoyed it, and I think you would too if you want to check it out, because it will be on the uh, year-end lists of probably the Oscars, and it is on the Golden Globes. So with that, it is time to dive in to our creature feature, The Mummy, featuring Boris Karloff, or as they call him on the poster, Karloff the Uncanny. Uh, I was watching a couple special special features after the film, and his daughter was remarking on how he was one of the few people in Hollywood that could go just by his last name and uh, had instant brand recognition. Directed by Carl Freund, who also uh, didn't technically direct. He did the cinematography for Dracula. Uh, he also did the cinematography for Metropolis, uh, a very famous film of that time. Uh, this is a, a Carl, uh, Carl Amell picture, too. Same guy who kind of produced many of the other horror movies of the time, and and screenplayed as well. John uh, Balderston, along with uh, Nina Wilcox-Putnam and Richard Scheer, all who kind of helped design sort of and adapt Dracula, Frankenstein, all of these classics. And so the interesting thing I, I read too is that this movie 
originally, because it was, again, it was adapted, uh, originally was based on this ancient, uh, it's like a guy who was in Eastern, lived in Eastern Europe, who uh, back in the early, early 1900s, I think, or it may have been late 1800s, claimed that he had been around for thousands of years which is kind of interesting to think back then, but essentially just this, the idea of uh, reincarnation. And so, uh, you know, this guy, much like some people today, right, talking about their past lives, talking about different things they, you know, they dream about. And obviously he was kind of called crazy back in the day, but they kind of pulled that as the basis for this film, which I, and you probably guessed it, will be making quite a few mentions to the 1999 Mummy and Mummy Returns, with uh, you know our love my life Brendan Fraser uh, recently saw a great thing that said for those of you that said uh, Brendan Fraser is making a comeback uh, with the whale uh, forget that you know we've been watching the mummy every year and Brendan Fraser has never left and I I, I, th- I thoroughly put myself in that category too but the gist of this film is uh, a man much similar as uh, the guy in the 1999 mummy. Uh, named Imhotep, is, in the difference being in this movie, uh, Anaksunamun, or in this film they call her Anksunamun, which was cool. I learned a lot in this movie, actually. I took a bunch of notes, but um, her name is Ankh, like Ankh, the Ankh, or Ankh for some of us out there that love our Ankhs, uh, and then Amun, which is one of the, uh, I mean, the main god of Egypt was Amun-Ra. And so I never really put that together because when I was a kid, you know, we always just said Anaksunamun uh, or, you know, as her father says in the second film, Anaksunyamun, which in here they say it a little different. They say Anksunamun, which again, you know, take your pick at how you want to pronounce it since I think it's a made up name anyway. Uh, it's just interesting to see that uh, and honestly impressed me because I've joked about in some of these older films that there's pieces of it that just do not age well. Obviously, it was, you know, a product of its time back in the 1930s. But there was a lot in here that I was really impressed with from a cultural perspective that they kind of kept in. Uh, But there are also some things in here that we're going to need to talk about that uh, I was kind of scratching my head about. So um, essentially, Anaksunamun gets killed or dies back in the day. And Imhotep breaks into the crypt of and they say thoth which is funny because i always said thoth and as i've grown older i've heard a lot of people call it toth t-h-o-t-h uh that egyptian god and so any i'm going to say toth for all of this but the people in the movie call him thoth call it thoth but uh the scroll of toth which apparently gives think of it as the book of the dead right where you know he's going to read some spells and bring his lost love back to life which was a really big thing back in the day. Think about it in the 1930s and think about all these other horror movies too, right? This was the first, one of the first villains who, or or I guess scary monsters who was based on love, right? It was the same as the Imhotep from the 1991. He's trying to get his lost love back. And this is a love that has spanned 3,700 years. Um, They talk about it taking place in 1730 BC is when Anaksunamun, um, Naksun Yaman kind of uh, died. So he does the spell. It doesn't exactly work. But, well, no, I'm sorry. He does the spell for himself first. 
so that if anything were to happen, he'd still be able to come back to try and bring her back to is kind of how I, there's pieces of it. Again, it's an older movie that they don't really explain, but that's how I took it. And so because of that, he gets buried alive. Uh, same as in the other movie, though he is not, uh, it, it was really cool to see the things that they took from this and put into the mummy movie. So for example, he is not buried with scarabs like in that movie, but he does have a ring on that is a scarab ring, which was really cool. Also, if you remember in that movie, there's a scene where uh, the cat is used to stop Imhotep because uh, the you know the mummies are afraid of cats, which was brilliant at the time, right? You know, the cat god and all of that. They're guardians of the underworld. I think they explain in this movie he actually has a pet cat, and it's because of the god Bast. So it's a complete 180 from the, and again, you know, they made a complete 180 when they remade the movie, but in this one, he actually is a friend of a cat, which was interesting to see. The cat actually ends up killing um, the lady's dog, the lady who ends up getting possessed by this. But again, a lot of interesting comparisons, uh, a lot of comparisons to the other movies too, though. So there's a doctor in here named Dr. Muller, who is the same guy who played Van Helsing. Um, which was really cool to see, uh, Edward Van Sloan, uh, and it's funny, he basically plays the exact same character. Dr. Muller and Van Helsing are one in the same, and there was even a special feature that was showing how there's so many scenes in these movies that are identical between, uh, Dracula and the mummy, in that they're both, you know, desiring this connection. I mean, the only difference being the thing about the blood. But uh, there's an interesting piece at the opening of this as well. There's some scrolling. Uh, also, the opening credits music, I think, was identical to Dracula's. Uh, but it said, Death is but the doorway to new life. Which, as we know from the other film, Death is only the beginning is uh, a nice little rewording of that. Uh, we get a classic moment where... Uh, you know, in the current day, which was at this time was 1921, some of the um, people uncovered a tomb, right? They uncover a mummy and there's a box and the box has an inscription on it, right? From the other movie that said, you know, whomsoever opens this chest is doomed to die, basically. And that's what it says on here. And it was just laughable. You know, I'm laughing. Of course, they read the seal and they go, oh, let's open it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And even, you know, the doctor is saying, you know, you call me crazy, but you should not be opening this. And eventually only one guy opens it and he doesn't even die. He ends up just kind of disappearing off screen, uh, which was funny. But this has one of the most iconic scenes in the film, which is actually at the very beginning, which is when he's reading off of this scroll that's in that box. And Boris Karloff's mummy comes to life in the background. And it was so fascinating to see, especially watching the behind the scenes, that the amount of makeup work that was used on the mummy, uh, just on Boris Karloff, the amount of time. They, he even said that he spent more time doing that than Frankenstein. And, uh, and we barely see him. You see his eyes open. You see his hands move a little bit, and then he ends up getting up and walking out. And there's this big hullabaloo with the, that guy who opened the boxes cackling now, saying, he goes, oh, you just got up and left uh, as a kind of joke, which I imagine back then would have been really scary. But we never got to see him. And one of the you know historians was saying that was a huge miss back in the day, right? If you spent all of that money and all of that time on makeup... You should have him in the movie like that. And obviously after that scene, which again, hats off to them for doing, they do a time jump of 10 years into the future. And we see Boris Karloff uh, wearing a fez, uh, kind of a man of the people in Egypt. And he goes by a different name now. He goes by Ardeth Bey, 
And if that name sounds familiar, that's because that is the uh, protector of Egypt from the, the 1999 movie. Uh, one of my favorite guys. He's got the tattoos on his face that leads the army against Anubis's warriors. Whew! Uh, I thought it was great to see that. I was like, oh, you know, that's awesome. Uh, but then from here, uh, there's a piece of it that I thought was interesting too. You know, as the mummy's walking out, there's no music playing. And they could have easily had some scary music playing to make it even scarier, uh, but they chose not to. And so I don't know, I don't know what that's all about. But essentially, we start to see what uh, Imhotep has planned as Art of Bay now. And so his plan is obviously he's trying to reanimate and reincarnate Anaxuna Moon from uh, they're trying to dig up her body. And so he comes to those same archaeologists. And says, like, hey, I have some reliable information that I know where the temple of Aksunyamun is. And they're like, oh, take me there. And so they find it and all of that. But he says something really interesting. And so this is what I wanted to talk about when it comes to the culture of the day. This is a movie that's made in America, uh, directed by a German director uh, with, you know, the screenplay, the story writers as well. They're basing it off of this stuff from Europe. Um, but this is essentially... A, a British film because the archaeologists are all from um, from Britain and or British in some form or fashion and they're in Egypt digging and so again I wasn't around back then but Ardith Bay Imhotep says this to the archaeologists because they're like oh well why didn't you just get it then or why have you dug yet and he says we aren't allowed to dig up ancient dead only foreign museums and I'm thinking to myself, so you as an Egyptian, and again, I know this is, is a small bit of commentary, uh, and the way he said it definitely indicated that he did not approve of what was going on. But so the Egyptians who live on that land, and it is their land, are not allowed to dig on it, but the foreign museums are allowed to come in and do so. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. The next scene is the foreign museum, those British archaeologists, doing the dig but are they the ones doing it no they are not they're the ones sitting up at the top of the dig site in their clean white clothing watching about 50 egyptians digging and i'm sitting there going so the egyptians aren't allowed to dig unless a foreigner comes in and tells them to dig forces them to dig basically i never mentioned anything about payment or anything like that um, but i just again interesting choice uh for that to be what they do and um, just an American, basically, I, my note was an American-made film depicting the British in Egypt. And it's those sort of things that build into those stereotypes as you go along uh, in life, right? I mean, this movie came out 90 years ago. So um, it was just wild to see that piece of it. But they did. They end up finding her, right? Obviously, because Imhotep is always scheming, trying to get her back. Uh, and then we learn about the the main archaeologist guy now because it's been ten years. His son is in the picture. His name uh, his name is Frank Wemple, and this guy played Harker in uh, the Dracula movie. So now we have two people from Dracula. We've got um, Van Helsing and Harker as well, and I think those are the only two that are a part of this. Zeta Johan is the uh, female uh, kind of protagonist in this. And that's the next thing that um, we're going to be talking about, too. Uh, there's a note as well that I loved that his father tells him uh, as he's saying, like, oh, we need to go in there. We need to dig some stuff. And he says, we do these works for the cause of science, not loot. And I said, yeah, OK, tell that to a gamer. But um, so her name is Helen, Helen uh, Grosvenor. Everyone else just calls her Helen. Um, but she reminds me a little bit of Evie from the 1990 version. 
Um, it's that same idea of uh, Imhotep sees her as the incarnation or reincarnation of Anaxunamun. And uh, it's very cool how they go about doing that because Zeta does such a good job at playing against the type of the day, right? You know, every female in these monster movies is so helpless. And she just has this spunk about her, this spark. She has this great line because immediately Frank comes in and says something like, I don't know what to say, but I'm fascinated with you. Like, you must be Egyptian. And apparently she's part Egyptian in this movie. And says something. And at this point, too, I was wondering that the the sets they were using, I could have swore, I think it was identical to Dracula and Frankenstein in terms of being inside the house. But he says, you know, you remind me of the person we were digging up. He starts telling her about them going on this dig to get Aung Yamun. And I hope you guys love that I keep constantly switching the name. But uh, he's like, you know, I dug up her grave and I was looking at her and it just, you know, you remind me of her a little bit. And she says, do you have to do you have to open graves to find girls? That's literally what she says. And I was just like, that is awesome. What a great line to tell this guy who's clearly trying to just turn her into a love interest. But that worked with the story because it wasn't just a love interest for love interest's sake. She has been kind of possessed by that ancient energy. And Frank can feel it. Uh, Imhotep certainly can feel it because he starts getting... Uh, really antsy to get with her, which was crazy. Um, and so does Frank. Frank's like immediately, fall. it's like she's got a spell on her, which was really interesting. So uh, Imhotep, I said Imhotep gives Papa, oh yeah, gives Papa a heart attack. So at this point, Imhotep has this like, uh, um, kind of like a seeing pool, almost like the Pensieve in Harry Potter, where he can see what's going on, I guess, wherever he wants. And so he's trying to get the scroll back from uh, this archaeologist, Frank's father, and gives him an actual heart attack over the under you know whatever this thing is so from from a distance which just shows how powerful he is as a weak mummy pretending to be a human using these powers i thought that was pretty crazy and so the father dies and uh, i want to call him van helsing but dr muller gives an amulet much like he gives an amulet to um, the people in dracula of a crucifix in this though it's an image of i believe isis and says this you know this will protect you uh, which was pretty crazy. Uh, and we get to see during this time a lot of close-ups on Boris Karloff's face as the mummy. Super chilling, super spooky. But also that seeing pool that he uses is really cool. The The cinematography of that day, of them showing how it is, it's hard to describe, but essentially they, they superimpose almost like a, a TV screen within it so that it looks like he's viewing some... I don't know, it's really cool to see. Uh, but then also, you know, we get to see a flashback of him and he's rocking a leopard, leopard print shawl uh, back during the ancient times. He's the only, I guess he was the only person who was allowed to wear leopard print, which was pretty funny. But there was, uh, used. he uses the spell to try and bring her back after dying and is buried alive. So it's during this part in the movie, which is towards the end, that we actually figure out what his purpose is or why he's trying to get to it. So again, think back to being in the 1930s, how intriguing this movie would have been because we've seen this before but first person seeing this would have been like wow you know where's i i was hooked for a lot of this movie because i was like wait so are they there there there's pieces of it that made sense from the the later movies but there's other things that were kind of newer and so that was really cool to see um again yeah using the cat he uses the cat to kill uh helen's dog which was wild and of course, you know, um, Dr. Muller giving Frank the amulet, he doesn't really believe in it. 
and so he he gets his he gets to have a heart attack as well. He doesn't die though because he grabs the amulet at the last second, which I thought was really convenient. Uh, but whatever, and you know, doesn't really want to go into uh, being his father. I have a note here that says she's fully unk or fully onk at this point. She gets kind of mesmerized into going down into the crypt where he's at and so he's about to perform a ritual and then the true plan is revealed which is that he is going to kill her if he kills her the spirit her soul will embody the uh body of anaksuna moon and so she's saying as you know anaksuna yamun i like i don't want to do this i why can't i live i'm in a young body right now yada 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 and he's explaining like no it, it wouldn't last like you, we need to put your thing in the body and he, he says i've been alive for you know i have, have been in misery for x amount of time and i'm asking one simple thing of you and once you do that you will be free and she's just very nervous, very scared. And that's when we find out that Frank ends up being alive. And he races down with Van Helsing to go uh, try and stop the mummy. And at this point in time, what we find out, the very end of it, is that she prays to a statue of Isis who raises her, the statue raises its hand and curses Imhotep and sends him back to the, the abyss, basically. And we get to see a great scene of camera flashes and just loud noises as he essentially disintegrates before our eyes, and obviously, you know, in 1930s fashion, but it was really cool to see, and I thought it was a great ending, you know, by the end, everyone's kind of back to where they were, all is well in the world, and, uh, you know, we get, you have your movie, and so it was funny because as I was watching the special features too, they talked about they were actually going to go into detail on the idea of past lives, that apparently Zita Johan uh, was very big into that. She had been doing a bunch of research on it, and so they had filmed scenes of her before becoming Anaxuna Moon, uh, a scene of her in like ancient Viking time, a scene, a scene of her uh, during the war, during um, the uh, in, not Inquisition but the Crusades, uh, which as they because they said there's actual screenshots, like they showed them in this video. You can find them out there. They're, they're screenshots of these scenes, but they all got cut, so we'll never ever see them. But they're just saying it's. It, they said it was cut because it felt like it kind of detoured from the purpose of the film, which makes total sense. But when this movie's only an hour and thirteen minutes long, you've got room to add some other things if you'd like. So I, I like the idea of them wanting to do it, but uh, you know they didn't end up getting around to it, uh, which is totally fine. But overall, I love this movie. the uh, The Mummy movies are always hold a special place in my heart. Do I like it more than the remakes? No, no, absolutely not. I think the remakes took this movie to a whole nother level. Uh, to kind of add more to it, more action, more intrigue, more romance, uh, which are all the things that were sort of in this film. Uh, but again, just due to the time period, couldn't be uh, couldn't be done in the way that they can be today. Now, where this stacks up with the other 90th anniversaries that we had, Frankenstein and Dracula, uh, you know, it's tricky. I would say Dracula is easily my favorite. Uh, but when it comes to this or uh, Frankenstein, which is funny because they're both Boris Karloff, uh, you know, I almost would pick The Mummy. I don't know, though. Frankenstein has a, a very special place in society, right? We we think about that movie all the time, more so than The Mummy, I'd say. But I just, I love ancient Egypt, so I almost want to give the edge to The Mummy. Um, but you know what? That's, uh, that's an argument I don't need to have because these movies have been around for 90 years. So if we can't make up our minds now, we're never going to. But 
Hopefully this uh, provided you a little bit of entertainment around another really ancient movie that has now been unearthed for all of you uh, to experiment with. And I think uh, I'm looking here. Let's see more watch options. No, uh, it is not available, unfortunately, on streaming right now unless you want to rent it. Uh, but again, if you're a fan of these types of movies and you haven't seen it, you've got to check it out. Because uh, there's a lot about this that I, I just, it felt like it was a little bit ahead of its time. Uh, in some of the other areas, it was right around where it was in its time. So uh, thank you all again so much for listening. This has been our conversation on the 1932 Mummy 90th Anniversary. Uh, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies. Thank you.